Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you. My name is Lee Hansen, and I'm the director of student ministries. I was going to make a lame joke that uh, they, they scraped the bottom of the barrel to try to find somebody to preach over Memorial Weekend, and they couldn't find anyone, so they asked me, but I, I won't do that this morning. <laughs> Early in my Christian life, I developed a passion to read. And I started reading all sorts of books, and I, and I was reading books by Chuck Swindoll and, and John Piper. And I'm a little bit more bent to be sentimental than maybe some others. And, and one author in particular kind of captivated my heart with the way that he wrote. The man named Max Lucado has penned so many wonderful books. And I was reading years ago out of a book that, I, that I've come to love. It's called In the Grip of Grace. And Max writes this in his book, speaking of another one of his books. He says, In God came near, I've told you how our oldest daughter fell into a swimming pool when she was two years old. A friend saw her and pulled her to safety. What I didn't tell was what happened the next morning in my prayer time. I made a special effort to record my gratitude in my journal. I told God how wonderful he was for saving her. As clearly as if God himself were speaking, this question came to mind. Would I be less wonderful had I let her drown? Would I be any less a good God for calling her home? Would I still be receiving your praise this morning had I not saved her? Is God still a good God when he says no? Haven't you experienced this uh, over the course of your life when, uh, when something good happens, when, uh, when the loved one that we've prayed for is rescued or uh, when we get the job or uh, when, when we get the acceptance letter to the school we've longed for? God is good. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And, and, and while I, I agree with that, God is good and God does have a plan for your life, is he any less good? Or is his plan screwed up when it doesn't go the way that we want it to? Sometimes in Christendom, I think we say things that we think we're supposed to say or that we should say because it's the godly thing to do. And again, I agree with those statements, but, but if I'm honest, there's always this trigger that comes back to this question of, uh, of what are you really saying when you say that? And do you really mean it? Or do you just mean it when things are going your way and God does seem and feel good? And I think one of the most cliche Christian sayings is, is that God has a plan for your life. And again, I agree that's true, but if you're anything like me, your plan hasn't exactly looked like God's plan. Because my plan in my head always looked like this. I'm that obscure stick figure on the bike. And my plan for my life was this slow ascent, steady and smooth to the top. But really, it's filled with rocks and water and some storms and a little bridge and ups and downs. And I would guess that that's what yours is like too. But like no one told me that there were going to be times that I wasn't going to be able to pay my rent. And when I was growing up, no one told me about miscarriages and infertility, and, and in the highlight reel of my head that I rehearsed since I was a little boy, it didn't include cancer and divorce, depression, anxiety, or addictions. And sometimes it's been okay. But really, truly, other times it hasn't. And in those moments when I found myself frustrated, which I've learned is really just a cute word for angry, <laughs> or disappointed, I think what's really happening inside of me is that I'm doubting if God has my best intentions in mind. Or sometimes at my lowest points, I'm doubting if God really even exists. 
right? Like, God, I come to church, I pray, I, I really do try to love you and follow you and know you. Are you there? Do you care? Are you listening? Or maybe like me and other times, God reveals things to you in those moments. Like the way that we follow God and think that we're entitled to have a life without hardship. Or that while we say that God is our hope with our lips, we find when, when our finances are yanked from us or our health or our happy family, we, we realize that our hope wasn't necessarily just in God. And what I've observed as I read through the word and what I've observed in my own life and as, I, as I've looked and been a part of your lives is that God's plans aren't just different, but God's plans seem to have different motives than ours. Right? Like it seems from, from my observations that, that God's more concerned with who we're becoming than the specific details and events of our lives. I want to read a, a very familiar, somewhat letter by the prophet Jeremiah from the Lord. Perhaps a familiar text. It's been on greeting cards. It's, it's written on paintings in people's homes. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And the text says this. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. There's a lot that goes into this text and, and if we rewind a little bit, what we find that isn't written on the greeting cards and isn't written on the paintings is that this text and this letter was written to God's chosen people, the Israelites, who were in captivity. They were literally being held in a place that they didn't want to be and not just for a short amount of time, for over 70 years. For I know the plans that I have for you. And there were these prophets. Jeremiah was a prophet and a prophet is literally someone who brings God's word to people. And, and there were false prophets, people that were claiming that they were hearing from God, telling the Israelites that it was going to be over soon, that uh, don't worry, it, it's going to end quickly and it'll all be well. But God's word says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans for wholeness, not for evil, plans for a future and a hope. And I don't know about you, but if I were the Israelites, I'd be beginning to wonder if that was really true if God had forgotten about me or if, if something was wrong with his plan. And I think if we back up even more, we, we read the text that comes before this, Jeremiah 29, verses 5 through 6. God says this, so strange and bizarre as the Israelites are in captivity, God's chosen people, not where they would want to be or in the promised land, but being held in captivity. God says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Not only does it not maybe match up, it seems so strange. Like it can't be, right? But it also seems very consistent as I look at the life of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, whose life was, yes, full of miracles and intimacy with God the Father and friendships. But it was also marked by suffering and grief. He was a man acquainted with sorrows who ended up being beaten and died a horrific death on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Not necessarily a, a life or a plan that the Jews would have had for their Messiah. And, and I think a piece of, of the why and, and a part of understanding uh, why that is the way that it is we find in this text. I've always loved God's word here. And if you could throw it back up, Jeremiah 20 and 11, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans for wholeness. 
plans for wholeness first. And that word in the Hebrew is actually this word shalom. Many of you have heard it, and so often it's simply translated as peace. And yes, that word shalom can mean peace, but in this text, it, it's, its predominant meaning, its, its lead foot is this idea of becoming whole and complete. And that's interesting. That changes things for me as I read this text because as I think about the ways that I've heard this verse my whole life and the ways that it's been taught to me, I, I feel like what's happened is we skipped over this wholeness piece and we jumped to the promise that God's going to give us a future and a hope. Right, like we hold God accountable to that end part, but we don't really want the first part. But the thing is that we can't really have a future and a hope, one worth living anyways, if we skip God's process of making us whole. And as I've looked around and I've seen wholehearted people that live their lives for Jesus, I wondered what does that process of being whole look like? And I think sometimes it's, it's the journey where we let things in our lives die. Perhaps those things are our false hopes or things we worship like comfort or control or happiness or living a life being anything other than who God created us to be. And I think other times in the process of becoming whole, things in us need to come to life. Things like learning how to be content in hardship or, or trusting who God says he is over our circumstances or how we feel. I think of a time in my life that, that God used in, to get me in this journey of becoming whole. It was about six years ago when I had left my, my first job after college. I was very familiar there. I had been on staff for four years. It was comfortable. I was known. I was cared for. I, I knew what my future was going to look like and it seemed like there was something else for me. And at 25 years old, I had a quarter midlife crisis or whatever you would call it. And I tend to be a bit dramatic and a bit emotional. And then I remember I was uh, having surgery. And so I went to the doctor's office and this doctor had no idea what he was getting into when he asked me how I was doing. <laughs> I had never met this man before and I had a total meltdown. I'm like, dude, I am not okay. <laughs> I quit my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. I'm a mess. But for real, I wasn't okay. And I remember I, I found myself in Tulsa, Oklahoma in a hotel room. And I had had a wonderful life, a, a good career. I had successfully graduated college. I had partnered with God to do in, incredible things. And here I found myself for the very first time at 25 years old, suffering intense anxiety and horrible panic attacks. And I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'll never forget that I was so afraid that I, I didn't even want to walk out the door of my hotel room. And I was so hungry. And I remember seeing a vending machine down the hall and it took every ounce of my strength to get out of bed and put my feet on the floor. And I took one step. And I stopped and I said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for one more step so I can make it to the vending machine. And I took one more step. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to take one more step and I'm going to trust you that I can get to the vending machine. And as I look back on that time in my life and that season and, and that experience, I, I can't tell you exactly why that was a part of my story. But what I do know is that when I read Paul's letters and he says that Jesus is our peace, I claim Jesus as my peace in a very different way. And as I look at to where God has brought me to a church I love with a wife I love and a family I love, 
When I say God is my provider and that God is faithful, it's not just lip service anymore. Just yesterday, I was texting with a friend and she responded, I actually needed a favor. And I texted her and I asked her for a favor and she said, well, give me till Monday. I need to get out of the hospital. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? And, And her text message sat with me for the rest of the day and this is what it said. It said, it's a miracle. The cancer's all gone. I don't even need chemo. Cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me. The refiner's fire. I know you know what I mean. I said, well, I'll send you my sermon. I'm preaching this weekend. And I'm going to preach about it. And this is the part that stayed with me. Please do. We have zero cancer in our family. Was stunned when I learned I had it. By thanking Jesus for my trial, I found joy in cancer. I found joy in cancer. And I had to stop and just think, Gail, what do you know about God that I don't, that you can say you found joy in cancer? And what could God teach you? And what did you learn about his character and his comfort and his provision and his intimacy and his love as you walked through cancer with him that you can say, I found joy in cancer? And I think about the Israelites receiving this letter. And while we know some of the details and events of how they got there and why it happened, we don't know the whole story. And I have to wonder what God had for them there. And the ways that they, that they knew God differently, living in captivity that they couldn't have or wouldn't have living a life of comfort in the promised land. I think so often we get stuck in trying to understand and know exactly why things happen. And sometimes I think that's the wrong question because I don't think we can always know for sure why. So what do we do? What do we do when we're frustrated? We're angry when, when we're sad, when, when, when we're confused, when we don't know. A wise teacher and a good friend of mine said in those times, we interpret what's unclear through what is clear. And we understand what we don't know through what we do know. And I love the way that this letter ends. This is what the Lord says. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the places and all the nations I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. I don't know why. Bad things happen to good people. I don't know why life is hard sometimes. I don't know why situations don't turn out the way that I want them to all the time, but I know that when I call on God, he hears me. And I know that in the midst of the lowest and darkest moments of my life, that if I seek God, I'll find him. And that he has no greater desire than than to bring me back and to restore me into wholeness. And I see how faithful God is in the life of Jesus Christ who came for the very purpose to bring us back and to restore us to a God that's wildly crazy about us. That's a God worth knowing and that's a God worth trusting. You know, one of my favorite parts about speaking, I've shared it before and I'm sure I'll share it again, but it's that I get to spend so much time just reading and studying and and talking to God and praying. And in that process of getting ready for this weekend, I, I had a Max Lucado moment and it seemed as if God was asking me 
Lee, if your life looked more like Job's for the rest of it, if I took away your wife and your finances and your health and your family, would it be enough to know that I still love you? If I took it all, if your life never looked the same, would it still be enough to know that I love you? And I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question, but I know, I know God's asking me to press into it. And so that's what I'd like for you to do. Over this next week, I'd love for you to ask yourself those two questions. Write it in your journal. Ask your spouse. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about it over dinner, on the way to school, whatever it is. But, but ask yourself that question. Is it enough to know that God still loves me? In sickness and health and poverty and wealth, let's do us part. Is it enough to know that God still loves us? And second, what's the invitation? What's God inviting me to in this journey of wholeness? And in my own personal journey, is he inviting things in me to die? Things that are getting in the way of me following him more closely. Uh, things that I hope and things that I worship that aren't God. Is God inviting something to die? Or is God inviting something to come to life? A dream that he's planted in my heart. A unique talent that he's blessed me with that I can give to the world. Is he calling something in me to come to life? What's the invitation for me? And my hope is that in that process, as we walk together in this journey of becoming wholehearted people, that we would accept that invitation so that we can experience a future and a hope worth living. Pray with me. God, the only life worth living, though we try so many others, is the life of walking intimately with you. And so often that looks different than what we think it should or what we thought it might or what we hope it would. So in those times, God, when, when we don't know if it's enough to know that you love us and that feels real and raw, would we find the strength and would your Holy Spirit whisper your promises that when we call on you, you hear us, that when we seek you, we'll find you and that your greatest desire is to restore us and bring us back to you. Thank that that's possible through what you did on the cross for us, Jesus. Amen.